Welcome to another episode of Bench Talk. I'm your host, Tom Gerrard. Uh, today I'm lucky to sit down with Jason Yeagle, who's an artist from America, who's currently living in San Francisco. You'd know him from uh, doing record covers over the years, and I'm sure you've seen his work in uh, magazines such as Juxtapose. Uh, how are you going, Jason? Uh, very well, thanks. It's lovely Saturday. Yeah. It's, uh, how are you doing? Good, thanks. Bright and early Sunday morning over here. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I guess we're catching each other at good times of year. It's, uh, you know, end of summer for you, start of spring here. So, birds are oh, tweeting. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you've got uh, like an umlaut over, over your surname. Um, like, what, what's your background? And like, I, I thought at first I thought you might be Scandinavian or something. But um, oh, yeah. what, what's... Uh, I'm just an American mutt. Like all, you know, like so many people, um, I, I, I have a, a, a pretty cool, um, kind of, um, you know, my family, there's a lot of stories and a lot of characters in my family history on both sides of my family. Um, and I, I think that has something to do with, with, with my fascination with stories. I mean, it doesn't seem like it could really be a coincidence that there's all these stories that are that are woven among my family history. And then I, I have a, a, a fascination for a, that kind of experience myself. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like I, my, my dad's father was a opera singer for the New York Metropolitan Opera, Frederick Yeagle. Um, America's great tenor apparently was one term for him at some point. And he was, um, I have a, he was part of the Christian science church in Manhattan and they sent him to Italy to study voice or to study opera. And um, so I have a record. It's a 10 inch record of hymns that he's singing on God is my shepherd, sort of the, the title track or whatever. Um, and on the back, it has this biography, you know, all of which hard to say how, how truly true it is, but I guess that's the nature of stories um, as well. And it says that Frederick, young Frederick, something like this, you know, young Frederick came from a German family, which at this point in time, whatever this is, the, you know, 1930s or something, um, you could be second or possibly even third generation and still be German, still be considered German or still be considered Italian, still be considered Irish as opposed to just being regular old American. Um, so I don't know. I th actually, I think it was uh, his parents that came, that settled from Germany uh, in New York. Um, and, uh, you know, it says, like, that young Frederick Yeagle was fascinated by the sounds of the hurdy-gurdy man outside his window, and his father was a choir master, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that was my dad was raised uh, in Manhattan and then later somewhere in New Jersey um, and, uh, you know, grew up going to the Met, um, seeing his dad sing. Um, and my dad studied fine art and was at uh, Yale in the 1950s, um, studied with Joseph Albers there. And then... Um, uh, he was also, when, I don't know when that would have been exactly, but it, I guess it would have been the 1950s also. 
uh, was in basic training. Um, he was in the stationed in Japan during the Korean War and was in basic training with Jasper Johns in South Carolina. Um, so I, he's but Jasper Johns is in my dad's Rolodex and um, they weren't good friends or anything, but they stayed in touch more or less over the years. Yep. So is that how you uh, got into art through, you know, growing up in a creative family? I suppose so. I mean, you know, um, my brother and I, we just drew all the time. Um, that's just how we were. And we drew with my, our dad, you know, a bit. Um, and we hung out at his studio uh, in Somerville, Massachusetts, uh, quite frequently. But um, for us also, for my brother and I, it was... Um, getting into comic books that was also an inspiration for us personally and growing up i think you know growing up in the generation where there's tons of tv and movies and video games kind of all around um probably contributed as well yeah so you you uh you've got two art degrees like one from california college of arts and the other from stanford like, I really get to ask this question, but what, what, yeah. what, did, what did you learn at art school? Because a lot of the people I interviewed, none, none of them have been to art school. Yeah. Um, well, I learned a lot. Um, though, you know, hard to say, to pinpoint exactly what and where. Yeah. I know I learned a lot from some of my peers um, at, in both, both of those school experiences. Uh, you know, at a certain point in time, I'd say about fifth grade, maybe I started to kind of abdicate from society a little bit. I, I, I don't think I was particularly comfortable socially and, um, you know, I was a latchkey kid. I was on my own a lot. I would come home from school in Brookline, Massachusetts, which is surrounded by Boston on three sides and you know, walk home and uh, take the subway downtown, downtown Boston to this comic store, Newbury Comics, and I'd sit and read comics for hours uh, just by myself, and then I'd walk home. Um, so, you know, by the time I got to college, um, I was pretty shy and wasn't particularly social. And... Uh, you know, I was having drawn and painted my whole life. I was always pretty independent. And for the most part, teachers didn't really say much to me. You know, most of the time they would be encouraging and, and that'd be about it. Um, there was really only like, a, you know, a few, there was, you know, it's not like they were bad people. I, I certainly enjoyed some of their, their company. Um, but, and there was one teacher maybe who I, I felt like I was inspired by, as a teacher, but I, you know, I was kind of a grumpy kid too. So I remember, uh, having that experience feeling like, you know, the teachers weren't really teaching. I didn't feel like the teachers were really teaching. Um, and I don't think I was probably very teachable. So, um, that's, uh, I guess equal portions. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, for me, I think what school was good for was just a, a, a reason and a place to make stuff. Um, but as an undergraduate at CCAC, California College of Arts and Crafts, as it was called back then, 1990, Oakland, California, 
there was a, it was a small school and there was like a, what I thought of or what I think of now as a school within a school uh, of people who stayed late pretty much every single night, hung out in the print shop and maybe the painting studios up above and and made work. Um, and and that was a really inspiring community for me. And um, there were definitely artists that I admired in there um, that I still admire. Uh, Nathaniel Parsons is one of them. Um, Mike Perret is another one. Uh, and these people are still making art and um, doing great things. Yeah. Uh, so it was like and, st- and, and Stanford was was great for me. It was two years where uh, it was just like a residency. There was um, very very uh, while I was there was it was a particular period of time where the director was on sabbatical and for one of the two years um, and they really didn't have a lot of programmed contact between students and faculty and there was only really three faculty people working there at the time. And only 10 students, you know, five per year. It's a very small program. So the thing that I, I, it was great for me. It was a really rich period artistically. And that was because I just stayed in my studio and made, made, and made, and made, and made, and made stuff all the time. Yeah. Did you get to experiment with a lot of different mediums? You know, at that time I was making paper sculpture. I had started making paper sculpture and was making big gouache paintings on paper and, you know, small ones too, but... Um, I think it was more experimenting with the material of paper, gouache and pencil on paper, mm. through making this paper sculpture such, and then through scale, like making five foot by six foot gouache paintings on paper. Yeah. Um, is, is gouache your favorite medium? Because I, I notice you still use it a lot in your artwork. Well, I, I started using it back in 98, when I moved to a smaller apartment from a, a warehouse space where I'd been painting oil on paper. Yeah. And it just kind of stuck. It's such an easy medium, non-toxic, easy to clean up, no fumes to worry about, uh, and fairly versatile. Yeah. So um, I painted with gouache pretty much exclusively for 17 years and then started, you know, I was interested in painting with oil for, probably a good number of those 17 years and finally got around to getting back on that. Um, so nowadays oil and gouache are kind of my go-to things and I'm switching back and forth between the two. Yeah. Like I really like the paintings you made by blanking out the, the figures from newspapers and other printed media. Like um, how did they come about and what, and what do they mean to you? Right on. Um, well, the, the series is titled figure paintings, mm-hmm. which is, you know, sort of a pun, I guess, a dad joke. Yeah. Because I'm just painting on the figures. And yet what it's also referring to, the title figure paintings, is is that for me, when I when I started doing this, one of the things I was excited about with that body of work or that practice was how putting some paint on this newspaper photograph was tapping into my latent fascination and interest in these new these these photographs that are sometimes really evocative and beautiful or, or compelling that are just sort of passing by they're physical they're they're printed they're you know they're reproductions and physically have a, a kind of you know objectness I guess but they're also disposable so they're they're passing through our our frame often quite quickly you know we glance at it and then it's in a pile and then it ends up in the recycling and so forth yeah. um, 
and so you know on one part it was tapping into that 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 interest in these things these objects and then once i put paint on this photograph it, it started my mind started to abstract the photographic image the printed image and i'd start to see the printing matrix of the photograph in a way that i hadn't before which is you know nifty and abstract kind of tripped out frankly and um and then the figure being painted and seeing the photographic information as a painting also or possibly the way that you could see that the sheet itself is printed on both sides and it's somewhat translucent so you can sometimes see the information that's on the back on from the front um so to speak and and you know all of those types of experiences with that form um is what is what caught my interest but you know and then then figure paintings because you paint the figure and then the rest of the image becomes also paint a painting in a sense or abstract and so i could see them as like a, a different way for me to approach figure paintings because it's you know basically my dad was a figure painter i'm a figure painter it doesn't it doesn't exclude us making abstractions because for the most part most figure paintings are you know are an abstraction they're a compositional exercise or, or gesture or whatever um and so they have a, a sort of an abstract painting language built into them yeah no they're a really strong series i, I really like them like do you cool. um do you exhibit them um like on their own or do you when you exhibit do you um also show your uh, more illustrative work as well like yeah, the last show I had in San Francisco uh, was, or not the last, but the uh, time before last, I guess, technically. Uh, you know, I had a, like an area where I had oil paintings, and, uh, I guess on canvas and linen panel. And then I had these sort of narrative gouache paintings that maybe uh, are more my stock and trade, normal stock and trade. And then the gouache paintings on newspaper photographs. And then I had a, an area where there was some paper sculpture. Um, and that was a, a fun experiment for me to separate the different bodies of work and show them separately rather than showing them all clustered together. Yeah. I think there's something to be gained from looking at the work together because, uh, and frankly, right now, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit confused as to what the hell I'm doing. Because <laughs> uh, my work is going in all these different directions at once uh not only that but um as to 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 make it um as a as an artist in san francisco i'm doing all these different things you know whether it's painting murals or selling artwork through my website or selling artwork through a gallery or uh making illustration type things uh making oil paintings making gouache paintings making these you know gouache figure paintings on newspaper photographs now making oil paintings on newspaper bits uh so it's it i feel a little bit uh exploded like uh, all the pieces are shooting off in different directions and um not totally clear on how to connect them all but i i'm sort of feeling like maybe the way to connect them all is to just keep on bifurcating and shoot off in some other new direction <laughs> yeah because like, I'm in the same boat like I'm, I'm playing around with all these different ideas but then thinking well as an artist you need to have an identity of, it's like you've got to pick one and, and roll with it but then you know, you know if you follow your heart 
you are, you've actually got all these other different mediums and subjects that you really want to explore. And yeah. it's, it's a tough situation to be in. Like I, um, I find it frustrating, but I think um, through just doing what you love, it'll um, all work out naturally. Right. Yeah. That's yeah, but anyway. <laughs> I, I agree with that in the long term for sure. But you know, in the mean in the meantime, you know, it's 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 hard not to feel concerned. You know, when you're trying to make a living at, at an art thing, yeah, you you have to be concerned with uh, stupid things like brand identity or whatever those that terminology might be. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, because I just think of like um like I'm into Matisse a lot, and I really love his cutouts. And mm. I remember, you know, he had this like long, prolific art career, and then he, uh, and he was like on his deathbed, and then he got healed, and then he came up with the the cutouts, mm. and and everyone told him he was crazy, and he'd lost the plot, and that his art was shit, more or less, and um, oh. and he and he just felt like, you know, like I'm I'm an old man, I'm in the late, late years of my life, and I finally found my style, and he just like, you know, hammered out as much as he possibly could. And that's yeah. what he's remembered for now. But everyone just said that he's like he's acting like a baby, and his art, his art is like the shittest art he's ever made in his life. But he, but he knew in his heart that he was right. You know. Yeah. Well, so, that sounds uh, yeah. a little bit like Philip Guston as well. That yeah. like late period Philip Guston, yeah. the response that he got and so on. Yeah. So I know. I think there's it's it's you know really with the it's a catch twenty two because if you think about the modern age that we live in with social media and. You know, and all the branding and marketing and all you know, everything else that goes with trying to build a career. You know, people um, uh, from the outside looking in, going, "Oh, you're confusing the viewer and this and that and da da da," and making up all these excuses and 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 saying, you know, looking from the outside in is going, think telling you what you should be doing. And it's really, I think it's really hard as an artist when you when you want to keep continue to experiment, and you're known for doing one thing, but you all you want to do is paint some some other style. I um. Or, or have five styles at once on the go. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like you, um, yeah, I don't know, like you've got to create a, uh, a different name for each style and be five different artists. And then. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I don't remember the name of this character that I heard about a while back. Uh, but, you know, just hearing about some artists who their art review talks about how. Uh, the review of their show mentions that it looks like a group show. Mm. And um, that's inspiring to me personally. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I'm interested in that. I'm, I'm interested in an art show not, you know, not, not being consistent, you know, having, having some sort of um, various vectors that it's shooting off in different directions with. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. you know, it may take a little longer, but, but, you know, I, hopefully if you just continue to do what you're inspired and what, what, what you feel inclined to do, then, then it'll, it'll all pan out in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, like I exhibited under two different names and, um, mm. like my fine art and also the more street work that I do, but I exhibit them both in galleries and I'm thinking of, um, you know, possibly having like a, a, a self group show, if you know what I mean? Like a, a two artist show, but it's, um, oh, yeah. it's all just me just doing two different styles and that uh -huh. way I don't have to justify anything and try and link the, link the two together or, you know, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, it's a concept I'm playing with anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, that's kind of like when, when, when people have a, you know, a design studio name or 
and then a, a fine art name or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, yeah, I've seen you've exhibited around Europe a bit. Like, how, how did all those shows come about? Um, well, I met, I, I, I was showing with a gallery in New York that's no longer around called Plane Space, P-L-A-N-E. Mm-hmm. And um, they uh, ended up going to an art fair in Barcelona called Swab and took my took me you know basically did like a solo exhibition booth of my work there that was in 2007 and that was i met a gallery from copenhagen there and started showing with him Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and showed with him for a number of years so i did a couple shows that way um some character you know i mean you know i've been around for a while i've been showing since 1995 so there's, you know, various opportunities that kind of have popped up here and there. Um, but nothing too consistent, frankly. Yeah. Uh, Just putting you know, yourself I'm, out there, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, the gallery thing to me is uh, still a bit of an enigma. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what my role is <laughs> yeah. in regards to galleries. Um, because, you know, re- reaching out to galleries has not been particularly effective for me you know it's and it's a pretty well-known uh phenomenon that that cold calling galleries is is not particularly productive yeah yeah you almost need someone to uh you know need to send it from a different email address and have someone speaking for you (laughs) right yeah 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 Yeah, Um, that's where you play different roles yeah not make a very ton of different artwork styles but you also have your uh your, your front office identity, let's say. Yeah, because the, the, the way I see like my personal view on exhibiting in galleries is it's a, it's a great way to showcase what your, your artwork and what you do and, um, and show off a body at work at one time. But I think as, re- relying, as far as relying on art sales in galleries, it's, it's, um, you know, it's a, one way to not enjoy yourself when putting on a show. Yeah. Yeah, because... Um, you know, you can make the, the best body of work you've ever made and be really, really over the moon with, with what you've done. But whereas if, uh, and if not much sells, you, you know, like it doesn't mean you can't be happy about the work. Whereas if people are hung up on the art sales, it can really ruin the whole experience for them and, uh, yeah. you know, make them think that they've done the wrong thing or their, or their art sucks or, or whatever, you know. Like, right, you know. right. But I think it's a great way to showcase what you've... Um, what you what you're doing, you know, what your last year or two has been up to, and you know, all that type of stuff. Yeah, but um, but like you've you've been pretty experimental with your your bookmaking as well. Like I really like that uh, like hang glider and mud mask McSweeney's book you made. How it um, you know, it starts from both. You can read it from both ends, and it meets in the middle. Yeah, right on. Is that yeah, was that's... that your concept, or did someone uh, were you working no, with no. someone else on? That... As Brian McMullen, he and I made the book together, and it was his idea, his his story, and um, his book design. Um, it's called a dosa dos format, and I it, I don't know if this is the the way that this type of binding was originated, but an early form of it anyway was uh, having like Bible and hymns bound together, um, so that they would be separate but bound together, I suppose. Okay. Um, and Brian McMullen is a very cool guy. 
uh, great writer and all around nut job. And he was art directing uh, McSweeney's for quite a bit. And um, now is a productive, independent creative like the rest of us. Yeah. And so, like, with, with your, um, your book, 73 Funshine, um, yeah. you know, you were pretty lucky, you, you know, to have um, Madlib make a record to accompany your book. Oh, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, um, you know, how did all that come about? Well, and, you know, I, 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 I dis, you know, discovered or whatever, somebody put me on to uh, MF Doom and Madlib, Lootpack, Quasimodo type things. Uh, or, you know, I should say like D- MF Doom, MF Grimm, Monster Island Czars, and then Madlib, Lootpack, uh, uh, Yesterday's New Quintet, Quasimodo, et cetera, et cetera. And that was you know, maybe 2000 or so. And they, both of those characters on opposite coasts were just obvious geniuses Mm. and weren't really very well known. (laughs) Yeah. And that was kind of incredible. And they both seemed to be staunch, uh, you know, staunchly devoted to working outside of the commercial mainstream. Um, they just didn't care. Mm. And, um, so I was, my mind was totally blown by what they were doing. And it's two characters who pu- are publishing work under, you know, let's say like seven different aliases, doing it at the same time on opposite coasts. And, uh, you know, one Doom is a, uh, he's an author, you know, self, self-described author, um, writing these stream of consciousness stories that take a song form, uh, as it were, you know, no choruses, just move working outside of, of traditional formats. And, um, and then there's Madlib on the other coast who's comes from a musical family and is, is making work. That's just a real extension of his own. I mean, both of them are making work that extensions of their own psyche, but Madlib has uh, kind of, um, you know, I slept on a chair next to him, sleeping on a couch, and he was mumbling in his sleep, and it sounded like his music. You know, he, his what comes out of him is such a natural, organic result of his existence in the world. Yeah, um, and his, you know, I, I'm fascinated by things like his act of listening to music is also his act of making music. You know, it seems like he consumes records at a inhuman pace and quantity, and um, as he's listening to them, he's sampling from them, and then you know the record goes off into some pile. I'm assuming, and this, the, they, the sample source is immediately lost in a way. It's how it feels to me, and just kind of consumed within the larger frame of expression and creativity. Yeah. So anyway, obviously, long story short, I'm mind blown by these characters, and um, you know, the first thing I did was I took, I started making these alter egos within my own work. Yeah creating characters uh there was a character blah blah who kind of looked like the fat albert character who's got the hood over his head that just shows his mouth Mm -hmm. um whatever that kind of weird hat with sort of ski mask hat bell-shaped thing is that that dude's wearing um and 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 that was my first version of um, this masked kind of character and then i just started drawing these sort of doom like characters within the work as well um which seemed like a direct 
nod to the Marvel comics that I grew up with, and especially kind of like the the you know I growing up in the in the seventies and eighties, there was still a lot of Jack Kirby-ness just around in comic books that was really influential to me, though I didn't know Jack Kirby's name. Yeah. You know, just it was just around. There was a used bookstore on Cape Cod that we used to go to and they had all these comic books underneath all the books, book bins, and all of the comics were romance comics and cowboy comics. Yeah. And, you know, the romance comics we weren't really interested in, my brother and I. Uh, but the cowboy comics, there was some cool ones. Kid Cole, um, the Rawhide, the Rawhide, the Rawhide, Rawhide Kid, and both of those comics were drawn by Jack Kirby, and I loved the shit out of those comics. Never really knowing the person I was admiring, just admiring the work. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, I sent a, a show invite to Mad Lib and El Quaz at Stone's Throw in 2001 uh, when I had a show in L.A. Um, I don't think they came. But Jeff Jank from Stone's Throw, the art director there, um, I reached out to him, and he know, knew my work from San Francisco when he lived up here. And I think he might have seen the show or some of the shows that I had down in L.A. Um, so we started corresponding. And that's yeah. basically how all the work that I've done for record covers came about was was through um, getting to be friends with Jeff. Yeah. So, you know, Doom, who called him in regards to the food artwork, um, called Jeff to ask for some assistance on the record design front. Jeff called me and um, we went on from there. Yeah. So with the, um, with the uh, record that uh, Madly made for your book, was that uh, music that wasn't released anywhere else? It is actually, yeah. It's the only Madlib 10 inch in existence. Yeah, and, and it's exclusive tracks that haven't been put out anywhere else. Man, that's that's pretty lucky. <laughs> and I, you know, I was just soliciting them for because uh, the, the 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 yesterday's new quintet stuff for me was 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 just so incredible that he's making this entire world of music that's all fictional but feels so plausible uh you know it's like a shimmering mirage that is existing in parallel to the real world that you sometimes see and sometimes don't um it's just such an incredible act of of placing himself within history while also sort of plumbing through musical history itself yeah Uh, i find it so artistically and creatively complex and um intuitive you know, which to me, intuitive art is inherently the most complex work that there is, because when we start to use our rational brain, even, you know, I mean, there's some very, very intelligent people out there who make incredible, extremely intelligent artwork, um, or who do all kinds of incredible research to write novels and so on. Um, and I admire those people a lot. But um, it's it's really like idiosyncrat- idiosyncratic create- creatives that, that I... Um, I guess at least I can relate to, um, and, and can kind of, I, I really feel like there's something to working intuitively that, that allows you to, to get into the nooks and crannies of your brain and soul in a way that you really can't. Otherwise there's no other lock and key for that. Yeah. 
And did you find that um, doing the cover for MF Doom's mm Food was um, like a, a, a big moment for you as an artist? Did it propel your career? Hell no. No, <laughs> <laughs> no I went, when, it, when it dropped, nobody said anything. Yeah. When it came out in 2004, nobody said anything. Um, and Doom still really wasn't, hadn't, hadn't popped at that point. Yeah. Um, he, you know, in the years after, his notoriety became m- more and more widespread. Um, but at the time, it was pretty quiet. Um, I'd say since then, you know, I mean, I have a lot of people who know my work who wouldn't otherwise know my work as a result of that record, that's for sure. Yeah, that was the first time, um, you know, I, I came to know your work was from that yeah. cover. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's weird that you said that they, they hadn't popped because, I, like, I was living in London when, you know, um, you know Mad Villain came out and oh, all yeah. that type of stuff. And then when I uh, – and I had friends put me on to, to Doom, like, through the King Ghidorah album and stuff like that. Yeah. And then um, – and then I, I realized that it got really popular, you know, um, while I was over there. And then I came back to Australia and there were lots of people listening to it over there. But in between London and Australia, I went to the States and I remember sitting in a bar in New York and um, I was having a drink with these guys and um, at a hip, being at a hip hop show and they were quizzing me on, on hip hop because they, um, you know, I grew up listening to it. So I know as much as uh, most hip hop fans and, um, and they... Uh, they're like, oh, but you're from Australia, so you can't know anything about, you know, hip hop, especially you know, hip hop, New York hip hop and uh, underground stuff as well. <laughs> and they were, they were quizzing me, and they were going, oh, this and that, and you know, getting me to reel off all the Wu Tang albums and stuff. You know, all, all these bits and pieces, just just quizzing me. You know, and it's like, yeah. yeah, I know this, I know that. I've got a pretty big vinyl collection and stuff. And then, um, and I said, oh, you know, I'm, you know, they said, what are you into at the moment? And I said, oh, I'm into Doom. And they go, you know, how the fuck do you know about that guy? And this mm. was 2003, and um, and I said, oh, you know, he's getting pretty big in the UK and everything, and I, uh, you know, now like quizzing me about Doom, and they were going, well, if you know about that guy, you do know about hip hop, and I just <laughs> thought it was really weird that I'd be in New York, and he'd he'd have more fame in Australia and the UK than he did in in his own own city. Yeah, you know. yeah, that's not too uncommon though. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, because I remember, like, even like band, like, you know, going to different styles of music. Like, I remember the Black Keys were always touring in Australia because no one knew who they were in the U- in um in America, and they'd have, they'd have to keep coming to Australia because that's where all their fans were. <laughs> right. Yeah, and now they're big. You know, they 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 sold out and went went you know blew up, but whatever. But um anyway, getting getting back to the you know your artwork, like um. Mm. You know, was there a, a, a point in your career that, uh, that you know, really did kick things off for you or has it been like a slow build and like, you know, um, just building on your career over the years and working you know, steadily at it? Um, gag. I don't know. Uh, I'd say that, um, you know, I was in a museum show here in San Francisco in 97. That was a, a, a pretty cool moment for me. Uh, I was, I guess, 26 at the time. So, um, that felt really good. And I, I got some good write-ups in some newspapers for that. And, um, I think at least in the Bay area, people started to know my work from that. Um, but you know, then I don't think I probably capitalized on it. 
uh, I don't think I understood potentially the value of of jumping on some sort of moment and um, or certainly not like any kind of careerism. The world felt different back then, I think. Like, I remember being in art school in the early 90s and all the students were really clamoring for some sort of practical information about how to be an artist, you know, how to, how to function professionally. And as a response to all the clamoring, the school would like bring in some sort of tax lawyer and they'd talk about like the artist and taxes. And that would be, that would be kind of that. And, um, my dad being an artist, I can see that, you know, he was born in 1929 and his father was a famous artist, famous singer. So he grew up in an era where, you know, there was no concept of an artist being a business person. And I think even my generation, you know, kind of pre-internet, um, we were, we, we knew we wanted it, knew we needed it, but I don't think we knew what it really could look like. And nowadays, I think with social media, people grow up with a more of an inborn entrepreneurial aspect to their lives, um, whether or not they, they think about it that way or not. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for me, uh, I, I guess, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know how, um, I think I've probably, I think I'm, I'm like, I've heard people talk about me as sort of like, um, you know, I've had a number of people be like, wow, I can't believe you're not more famous kind of thing. Or, um, you know, and people from my generation in San Francisco, there's a good number of them that are pretty well known now. And uh, I think I'm probably a little bit more sort of like cult hero style, a little bit more subtle, subtly known, let's say. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is fine. You know, it's, it is what it is. Uh, so, you know, I, I've gotten attention for my work, for, you know, periodically throughout my life and, and definitely as career or whatever you want to call it as an artist um but you know i'd say by and large i feel like my work is could be known better at least you know i don't want to be too negative about it and i try not to dwell on that part of things but uh, i have a tendency to, to probably look at things as half full and you know wanting to, to strive for more or whatever but um i think there's there's at, at my age now, at 45, having been showing for 20 years now, um, in some ways I have a lot of history that's a foundation for my professional life. And I can also see that there's a lot of room to kind of grow and, um, and that it's just a, a weird thing with art because I'm so not a self-promoter and not really particularly social. And I think that's it's it's those things are good things to be in our field of work. Yeah, uh, you know, like what you're doing, just you know, you're you're being social in, in what you're doing with this podcast, and that's a great thing. It's it's sharing of yourself and also bringing people together, and it, it's it's building something professionally. Um, and I really like those that aspect of the art world that you can get together socially and over common creative ground or interesting, inspiring ground. And, and do things that can have a positive professional result. Yeah, um, but it's, it's pretty nebulous. You don't, you don't always know. You can't always see, see the, the, the clear, concrete evidence of it. No, no, I agree. You've got to just keep chipping away, don't you? 
Yeah. Yeah. So do you like you make a living solely off your art? You don't have like a side hustle or anything like that? Well, I mean, I guess I'm not without some sort of side hustle, but um but no, by and large I'm making my living from my artwork. Um and in the past number of years that that's included teaching college art, doing public art and murals. Um, doing illustration and commercial work, which might include doing murals if it's sponsored by some corporate entity, um, and then selling my artwork in all in a, you know a host of different um, contexts and venues, um, and that's what's been working out for me is kind of going to all those different you know as I guess as you'd say in some sort of I, when I think about financial language or whatever it's like diversifying my income stream <laughs> is how I, it seems like what what is sort of working or what i'm doing to some degree you do have the market talk marketing talk yeah <laughs> have you been um tempted to chuck it all in and uh get a day job or you know like what like when, you know it's a constant roller coaster but when you're on those lows um like how have you overcome those situations uh well, just keep working just keep at it i mean I have I have a family. I have two daughters, so there's a pretty big incentive. You know, if if anything has gotten me to become more professional, it's it's having children and and living in San Francisco, which is a pricey place to live. And um, it's uh, you know it's it's do or don't. So I, I got to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's, um, humans are pretty resilient. You know, it's. Uh, like I find that when when you sort of put yourself in a situation, you just make it work. Whereas if you're um, too scared to take the plunge, you are, uh, you know, like you you just think of the the worst case scenario. But if you know you dive into your career and you go, well, I'm just gonna try my best. So that, you know, things do end up working out. You find you always get got food on the table and the rent's paid. And you know, even if it's you know really tight, sometimes it it always does work out. Yeah, you just just to put effort in. I yeah. think you put effort in, you get something out of it. You keep putting effort in, you're going to keep getting something out of it. Yeah. No. Um, so, like, if uh, like we, I have a lot of students and uh, up and coming like aspiring artists listen to this show. And like, what what advice would you um, give to someone who's uh, looking to take up an art career? Well, I, I definitely would want to champion um, just being an artist in general, obviously, and. You know, it's the I think the biggest pitfall out there these days, from my vantage point, is the is social media and the marketplace. You know, to at the where we're at culturally, um, where you know any individual sort of has this latent potential to become a brand, self promote, and blah blah blah, and that to me is a. Um, uh, a real trap for trying to be an artist because um, you know it's 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 all stuff that is going to influence you to make sense out of what you're doing. Yeah, and I think that a creative path is one where you are seeking experimentation and risk taking and exploration. Um, so you know, I mean. I guess to some degree, like I could say quippy things like, uh, you know, get a good job, not doing art and work really hard in your studio for 10, 20 years <laughs> yeah. and then show what you're doing. 
Yeah. Um, you know, or, or just, just the whole idea of, um, not resting, you know, like you find something that looks cool and works for you. Don't stop there. Do something different. Yeah. Try something different. Um, and just that to, for me anyway, what I'm, what I kind of, one of the things that I, I come back to personally, creatively, whatever is just kind of thinking about where I, where I was at when I was 18, 19, 20 and so on. Um, and what I wanted and, and what I was, what I was seeking and desiring artistically. There's some, at, there's some kind of core there that's like where it's unknown and raw. You want something, you don't know where it is or how to get it, but you're overwhelmed with desire to try to make something, say something, do something. Yeah. And, and that, to me, that state is, is really key and something that, um, I, I, is something that I remember and, and want to remember and engender. Uh, I don't know if there's any advice in that, but. Oh, there's plenty of advice, you know, cause I agree. Like I, I found that throughout my, um, like, you know, art life, I've done it because I, I, I can't not do it. You yeah. Know, it's like, it's like I draw every single day and if I, in, and if I if it gets to like ten o'clock at night and I haven't done a drawing, I'll I'll, I'll put pen to paper before I go to bed just to yeah. I know I, I just, I've got to do it and it's not you know no one else gets any gain out of it other than me but I just I feel I, I I need to be in the studio as much as possible and you know I I I, I get what you're saying I agree with yeah you, you know. yeah I mean that's another great piece of advice right there man is is just um to put the time in. Mm. Uh, you know, to remember that it's, uh, that, that, that being an artist is, is something that is lasts a lot. That's a practice that elapses over a lifetime. Yeah. It's not something that you, 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 you come to and develop in, in a couple of years and then boom, you're there. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, it's, it's weird. Cause I, um, I think about it a lot and you know, you get, you see, especially with social media, it builds anxiety. You're comparing, constantly comparing yourself to what everyone else is doing and where, other people are at in their career and people forget to just focus on their own craft. But then like, I, I, I quite often like to stop and think about it and think about all the, the famous artists throughout the years and you see the photos of them and they're all old men, you know, not all of them, like, you know, obviously not all of them, but you know, if you think of like the greats, you know, like Picasso and Matisse and, you know, Dali and all that, like they're all older guys, like, Oh, Dali wasn't, you know, really old, but, but you know what I mean? Um, yeah, he made it to old age. Yeah. Yeah. They look like retired guys. <laughs> uh-huh. You think they've, you know, they've built, they've built their craft over their whole life. You know, they weren't, you know, 25 years old killing it. You know, they, they worked and worked throughout their whole life to get to where they were. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think sometimes people, uh, lose, lose perspective of that, that they've got the rest of their life to look look forward to creating art and developing their style and 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 building a career and um i know i guess people get hung up on on fame and and followers well there's a i've noticed in 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 schools that i've taught at that there's a impulse within these schools to um want to be responsible is, is how it feels you know and 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 um, so they're scrutinizing these students and their work, um, you know, potentially uh, 
heavily, you know, frequently and intensively. And that scrutiny is basically comes in the form of, of asking them, what are you doing and why are you doing it? Yeah. And to me, that doesn't seem like the right approach to making, to cultivating great artists. Um, it doesn't seem to me like there should be an easy answer for what you're doing and why you're doing it and where you're going with it. To me, if it's truly complex, emotionally complex, intellectually complex, you know, spiritually complex, it's not going to be easy to express. Uh, it, it, it will resist understanding. And, and that is crucial. Yeah. So when I was doing some, well, it was ages ago, but I was doing one-on-one tutorials with graduate students, and one of the things that I found myself saying a lot was, you know, find a way to be articulate about what you can't articulate or, or what the experience feels like rather than trying to in- intellectualize what you're doing, but instead to kind of observe an, an emotional, your own, as the maker, your own emotional experience of making art. What does that mean to you? you know, how, what does that look like? Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, that's not the only way to do it, but it, it's, it's my way, and yeah. it's, it's, it's different from the way that these schools were doing it, that's for sure. Yeah. I've also found over the years I've, you know, like I was struggling to find my, my why with my paintings, like my, my justification for painting what I'm painting. And, and I, you know, there are certain things I just like to paint. But um, over time, like now I've really, you know, I've, I've worked out what I'm painting and, and what it means to me and, and where, where it all comes from. But um, I was doing uh, paintings just to practice painting, really. Practice how to put colours together, practice my brush skills, practice how to do lines with a paintbrush. And there's nothing wrong with painting just for practice. And then over time, you know, your skills get better and then you start realising what your paintings actually mean or you you start finding another focus within your artwork and you've got those skills behind you already. You know, you're not starting from scratch because you... you, you, you've been looking for a, some purpose behind your art. Other, you know, I just think if you really want to do it, do it. And then over time, you're, um, you know, all that will come about because it's pretty hard. It's like saying to someone, oh, what's, um, you know, what are you, you know, saying to a, like an 18 year old kid, what, what are you going to do with your life? <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't really know, but, but right. if you start developing the, the life skills, um, you know, over time, something, something will, will, will click and, yeah. and you'll experience something that go, wow, this is what I want to do with my life or, or in our, our sense, like, this is what I want to do with my art. You know, that's, that's something that I, that's, that's what I feel anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree yeah. with that, you yeah. know, and also, but the, you know, it's a weird thing because like I am preoccupied with, um, or, or let's say, let's start it like this, that the, uh, America, let's say, or like mass media, um, is preoccupied with youth. That's, that's obvious. And there's like a, a Western culture, um, obsession with, with youth. Um, and you see it in the art world too. You see that there's, um, that, that it seems like there's a, a um, cult around these like 20 something artists, um, because of there's something, there's something desirable that's there. And, and I can relate to it in terms of music. There's a lot of music that where I, I really love a individual or a group's 
first or second album and then later on as the as the sound gets more and more refined uh that it loses something to me it's something has been lost in that refinement and so there's to me that you know i identify like this thing about this like rawness of youth where you don't really know what you're doing there's something key about not really knowing what you're doing and striking out with this abundance of desire and lack of and 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 parsity of of skill knowledge you know awareness whatever it is ability or something um and that's something that like i said earlier like it's something that i i i feel like i'd need to continue to pursue is the a place a place where there's something out there that i don't even potentially totally understand yet um so that i can i can be in that place that's like that place when i was when i was young yeah um so it's weird you know it's like at the same time you know and i the thing is is like suppose too that I probably can imagine, I can imagine sort of a, a, a comparable or equal or analogous or whatever flip when you start to get older, when you, you know, past, past 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 even, um, that there's, that, that there's, a, that there's other new territory for us there that could be weird and raw and rich. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, I'm sure there's some definitely some advice in there for uh, up and coming artists. <laughs> 20, right, 20, right, min- 20 minutes. Right. Keep weird people. <laughs> yeah, but um, like finally, like where where online's the best place to see your artwork? Um, well, I have a website that's got some pretty recent work on it, but I haven't really done anything to it in a while. It's just my name dot com, dot com, and then um. I'd say social media wise, I work with Instagram for the most part. It's a nice medium for me because it's all visual and it's so immediate. Um, I enjoy it. It's like, you know, you, I feel like when I'm times at times like this, the Instagram thing is like making a book. It's a digital book, um, your own feed. And so that, I like that, that I can, you know, interject a, an image from a record album or a, a photo from real life or a detail from an artwork or a byproduct from studio practice and then an actual painting and there can be kind of a, a rhythm through through contrast and difference that that begins to paint some sort of bigger portrait um yeah. so i dig that and that that my, my instagram is just jagel j-a-g-e-l yeah okay well um thanks for taking the time to sit down and have a chat i, I really appreciate it it's good to hear you good to see you yeah thanks Check out the Bench Talk website, benchtalkpodcast.com. There you can listen to past episodes and keep up to date with what's up and coming on the, the podcast. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes on the podcast app. You can also listen on SoundCloud. Just search for Bench Talk. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, bench underscore talk. Thanks, and I look forward to you tuning in again next week. See ya.